Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am your host, Armand Lee, and thank you so much for rocking with me for another episode of the Quarterly Report. We've got a really fun show this week. My guy, Chris Miles, y'all know him from NBA TV, Turner Sports. He's going to stop by with the playoffs just around the corner. We're going to break down who's under more pressure to perform in this postseason. Chris Paul, James Harden, or Mike D'Antoni. It's a really interesting conversation that we had. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Also, I've got a scorching hot take that surrounds the Boston Celtics and all of those assets that they have. I want to know what you guys would be willing to do. Like, would you be willing to cash out to go all in on all these assets that the Celtics have to give you a true title contender? I probably would, but I'm assuming not a lot of other folks would be. So my scorching hot take will be coming up later in the show. But for now, let's get it cracking with our first topic this week. First quarter. Man, this motherfucker Canelo, Saul Alvarez, man, f***ing up plans, baby. Don't y'all understand? Since last September, October, when was that? I think it was in September. I have been waiting for the rematch, and then they did it. They, they did it perfectly. Rematch. Cinco de Mayo weekend, which actually falls on Cinco de Mayo. It doesn't get any better than that. It was Gennady Golovkin, Canelo Alvarez 2. All the drama, all the hype. First fight, while not quite living up to the hype, it delivered. It was an exciting fight. There was no, there was no clinching. There was no running. Both guys went at it. It was fun. That fight flew by. A 12-round with no knockdowns, no knockouts, but that fight flew by because there was no stoppage. It was action nonstop. So everybody's ready now. You know, the sequel always draws in more than the original. And because the original, while still exciting, it didn't have the fireworks that everyone was expecting. You figure the next time these guys get in the ring, the filling out process wouldn't be as long and somebody's probably more likely to hit the deck, right? And then this motherfucker going, it, yo, a few weeks ago, it was like on the little, on my hotline bling on the call center. It was when the story came out that Canelo, he had a, 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 a bad test, right? I forget, I don't even want to try to pronounce the, the, the PED or the uh, masking agent, I suppose it is, that was in his system. But the dude blamed it on tainted meat. And because in Mexico, you know, they've had a history of, you know, I guess their chicken um, having this this uh, this drug that it was, okay, all right, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Wink, wink, nod, nod, whatever. This fight's going to bring in a lot of money, so we'll overlook it. But then this Bama gets hit for the second time. A second time with the same thing, bro. And like, so this past week, he had no other option but to withdraw from the fight because if he's withdrawing from this fight, I know the suspension's got to be heavy. You know what I'm saying? He's doing this whole thing like, oh, man, I'm going to clear my name. Y'all didn't like, come on, bro. Come on, Slim. Like, you've got so much bread. Don't act like you don't know. Like, there aren't, uh, you've got guys in like D1 D2, D3, who only eat organic food. Like, you got bread, Joe. Like, big-time bread. 
You can you can get organic chicken or fish or whatever the case it is and eat at your leisure, like with no with no hesitation. So he gives the swan song as he's withdrawing, withdrawing from the fight. Canelo Alvarez in North America is the biggest draw in combat sports, not just in boxing, but UFC as well. He is A1 in North America. And this is another reason why I'm frustrated. Obviously, I have plans for May 5th weekend. You know, going to do it up big. Y'all know, I talked about this a few weeks ago, but for the fight party, the fight parties are always fun. But this week, I wanted to devote this entire quarter to talking about Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. And we'll talk about it in a few moments because I don't want to spend too much more time on Canelo because he pisses me off right now. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Because he took away from us. But I want you guys to imagine in your head for just a second how much of a dog Golovkin must be. If you watch the first fight, the biggest shots, right, the most clean, flush punches were thrown by Canelo and landed on Golovkin. Gennady Golovkin ate some of Canelo's biggest shots. I'm talking about clean, flush shots to the dome. And he walked through them joints, them joints with Scooby Snacks. So imagine how much of a dog Golovkin must be. And look, no one's ever going to mistake Golovkin with Tommy Hitman Hearns in terms of punch. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Canelo can punch, but he ain't throwing thunder like that. But ask James Kirkland how hard Canelo punches. Ask Amir Khan, and that's not fair because Amir was going up and wait. But ask Julio Chavez Jr. Like, it's not like Canelo was throwing pity pats. He's throwing bombs sometimes. And he connected with Canelo, or Golovkin multiple times. And Gennady Golovkin walked right through it. And imagine what type of dog that must be for Canelo to be like, yo, I gave him my best and he didn't even buckle. Forget hit the deck. He didn't even, knees didn't buckle. He didn't clinch over. He didn't, he didn't grab me. He didn't try to tie me up. He just kept on coming. So I got a dope. That's the type of monster that we are talking about when we're talking about Gennady Golovkin. The dude is not from this planet. So he says he's still going to fight on May 5th. And, you know, we already know how that goes. You know, he's not going to fight any top-notch fighter that's this close. You know, at least I don't think. But we've seen, like, the, the, the part of the drama, part of the intrigue with Golovkin is not just because he's got the punching power. We already know that. But his fighting style, he says Mexican style. And I love, I love Triple G, man. He just keeps coming. So recently, starting with Kale, then it went to um, Danny Jacobs and then Canelo, he stepped up in the caliber of fighter. And he won. I mean, I personally still thought Canelo Golovkin was a draw. But, you know, you could make the case that Golovkin won that fight as well. But he's looked good, even though he's been vulnerable in those, most, in those three most recent fights. And now... You know, he's going to get more than likely a, a, a contender, someone probably in the top 10 in the weight class, but not an elite fighter. Not an elite fighter that makes you think, yo, Golovkin could actually lose this fight. We've seen him just knock Mama's heads off. And that's what I'm assuming is going to happen on May 5th. And that's fine, I suppose. But man, Joe, like when you have, like there was so much momentum, you know? And Golovkin, I'm not Golovkin, but Canelo, Saul, 
talks a rack of shit, Joe. I don't want to hear it from him again, ever, ever. Your legacy took a big time blow, Canelo, Saul. You feel me? So that's all I want to say about them. I just want y'all to know. I had to get that off my chest. I'm super blown. But this past weekend, there's a lot more to be excited about in the term in terms of the sporting world as it relates to boxing. Anthony Joshua won a tough, hard-fought victory over Joseph Parker this past Saturday. He is the unified heavyweight champion of the world, which is super dope considering I think this, he's only 26. You know, he's only fought like 23 fights, something like that. It was his first time not getting a knockout. And immediately following the fight, and you know, Make no mistake, and I've, I've said so in the past, I don't think Anthony Joshua is a perfect fighter by far. He has holes in his game, but he's so he's still so new that you see him getting better. And immediately following his fight, there was so much talk about, oh, man, I can't believe Anthony Joshua looked so bad, and he struggled, and da-da-da-da, and they were coming for him. And I suppose if you were expecting a knockout and you see the result, and again, I'm not saying Anthony Joshua fought a perfect fight, but I had the complete opposite reaction. I thought Anthony Joshua, I came away from that fight more impressed with Anthony Joshua. Because it's easy, I'm not going to say it's easy to beat a knockout puncher, right? But ask yourself this question. Who do you think is, is easier to beat? Andre Ward or Gennady Golovkin? Right? Manny Pacquiao or Floyd Mayweather? It's easier to beat the guy who's looking for the knockout because they're going to always come for you. And by no means am I saying beating Gennady Golovkin or Manny Pacquiao is easy, but it's easier than beating Andre Ward or Floyd Mayweather because they are they have more tools at their disposal, right? And they're they're, they're coming in with the number one objective is to not even let you touch them, let alone throw a bomb on them. And Joseph Parker. I mean, y'all heard the broadcast if you in America on Showtime, and this is like my third, second or third time finding watching Parker fight, but you can see he's got a great jab. And not only does he have a great jab, he's got a fast jab. So he's throwing those jabs lightning speed for a heavyweight and with precision. So AJ actually, it wasn't about knocking out Joseph Parker. He outboxed Joseph Parker. And coming from Anthony Joshua, that is something that is that should be frightening. This fight, while I can understand why he would be disappointed, and again, I wish Anthony Joshua would have worked the body more to slow, like the slow down Joseph Parker. Because not only was Joseph Parker's hand speed fast, but his head kept moving, right? So AJ couldn't really connect with the big shot that he wanted. You do that, you, you invest in the body. You know, you hear him say it all the time. Invest in the body, put that work in the body early, you can cash out that top later on. And AJ just really wasn't investing enough to the body for my liking. But you can see that he had a jab too. And Joseph Parker, while he came in with the objective not to get hit by AJ Bomb, and you could tell that he did his scouting. He studied because those uppercuts that AJ was throwing, Parker, each time, I think he got touched maybe once, but each time he was ready for him. So AJ couldn't just, so the, the, the first obvious option was to throw the knockout, but he couldn't do that. But AJ showed composure. AJ didn't get reckless. He he showed patience. And he just outboxed a very good boxer. 
And that means a lot, especially in the heavyweight division. Because now that AJ has done that, has solved that puzzle, he will all hope you would think if you're from an AJ side that he will be able to draw back to that if he needs to, especially as it pertains to the, the next super fight that possibly could be happening with Deontay Wilder. Now, you know, with boxing, man, it's, it's always he said, he said, you don't know who to trust. But after the fight, you know, there was a lot of talk about Wilder uh, not wanting to come to the UK. There were rumors about Wilder wanting a 50-50 split. Wilder has subsequently said that he'll come to the UK and he doesn't want a 50-50 split. He's like, yo, I'll take 40, you take 60. He says, whatever. He just wants to fight AJ. Somebody's not telling the truth. And common sense says it has to be Eddie Hearn and Anthony Joshua's side because Deontay Wilder has nothing, to, like, he has everything to gain here. He has no other option. Like, Anthony Joshua could fight Povetkin. We've seen, like, he's got options if he wants it. He's a superstar. He is an international superstar. Deontay Wilder is a, a star in the boxing world. But everybody doesn't know who he is. In fact, if Deontay Wilder walked down the street, most people would just assume that he's a football player, you know, or maybe a basketball player. They wouldn't know that he's a heavyweight champion. So he needs the fight with AJ. AJ doesn't need the fight. So the fact that they're trying to spin it as Deontay Wilder isn't trying to contact Eddie Hearn and Anthony, I, I just don't buy it. But we got to get this fight. And I want the fight to happen this year because when you talk about the heavyweight division, it's always thrown in, in, the, in the sense of Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder. However, we got the wild card, the crazy man, Tyson Fury, just kind of lurking in the, in the shadows. And think about how perfect this would be if Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder fight, and the winner of that fight gets Tyson Fury early 2019. This isn't hard. Sometimes boxing is its own worst enemy. These two fights should happen, and it shouldn't take much to get it done. Obviously, obviously, Anthony Joshua is A-side. The dude sells out stadiums. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Deontay, the Brooklyn Nets get more butts in the seats than Deontay Wilder. And that's not a knock because Wilder is growing his brand now, right? But he's in his mid-30s now, you know? Time is, time is running up. Get this fight in, and then let's bring in Tyson Fury to settle all scores because the heavyweight division, in my opinion at least, is rock, paper, scissors. I absolutely think Anthony Joshua beats Deontay Wilder. Precisely for one of the reasons I said earlier. He's, he's patient. He can box now. I don't think Deontay Wilder will be as uh, disciplined to every single time Anthony Joshua throws the uppercut to be ready for it because Deontay Wilder is absolutely looking for the knockout. He said it. He said, I want to knock AJ out. That's the only way he knows how to win. And the win versus Ortiz was extremely impressive. But And Ortiz is a very good boxer as well. But you saw Ortiz conditioning is what cost him. Ortiz, in the early part of the fight, throwing double jabs, moving his head, staying on his toes. As the fight waned, he got lazy. He stopped moving. He stopped jabbing. Didn't go to the body. And he got hit with the right. Joseph Parker is a much more conditioned fighter. And yes, he doesn't have the power that Ortiz has, but Ortiz doesn't have the conditioning. And the fact that AJ, one of the biggest criticisms of AJ was that he tires late earlier, or tires late as well, he put that to rest. 
he he fought the the second half of that fight. He dominated, like he he swept the championship rounds in his first time going the distance. So if he's checking off all these boxes, yeah, of course the knockout looks more uh, impressive. The knockout is more spectacular than a decision. But as a young fighter who's going up against a, a boxer and he can outbox him, I mean, he's just got more weapons in the arsenal at this point. So, yeah, I think Joshua beats Wilder, but I think Fury beats Joshua. Because, yeah, Tyson Fury can box his ass off. And, yeah, he's crazy. Yeah, he does a lot of stuff to get under your skin, but he's a boxer puncher. And I don't know if AJ can solve both of those because he was tentative against Parker. The problem with Wilder is Wilder's not a boxer puncher. He's just a puncher. But that punching style, that athleticism and those angles would be enough to beat Fury. So here's rock, paper, scissors, right? I got Joshua beating Wilder. I've got Wilder beating Fury, but I've got Fury beating Joshua. And all of that chaos makes for great drama, great television. And the fact that we are still up in the air, still curious about who AJ is going to fight next, boxing. Do us all this one favor. Go to the bank, count all the money that you're going to get, and get out of the way. Because this, this, does, this sells itself. Two fights, not including rematches. It sells itself. Eddie Hearn, Al Heyman, shut up, count the money, and get the hell out of the way. All right, guys, that was a two-part boxing first quarter, man. Because, yo, Canelo... I don't want to hear from you again. De La Hoya, sit your ass down. And this ain't an angry man segment. Just go ahead and sit down. And let's get it going with the heavyweights, okay? Because this fight, they say it needs, mar it needs to marinate. Nah, bro. It's on the grill. It's perfect. Put it on the grill. Let's eat. All right, y'all. That was the first quarter, but we're going to keep things moving as we step into the NBA for my second topic this week. Second quarter. This has to be the era of the hot takes. I'm not lying, man. Sometimes I'll turn on the radio or I'll turn on a television program and some of the stuff these people get out there and say, I'm, out, I'm like, yo, what? And I, and I think to myself sometimes, I'm like, yo, have, do you honestly feel this way or do you have to convince yourself to, to kind of believe what you're saying? Because it's clear they are invested. They. It seems as if it is complete genuine, or it completely genuine, you know, as they are uh, stating their their case. No matter what sport, no matter what topic, and oftentimes it's silly. I mean, you know what? Talking about sports is silly. You know, let's the people who take sports too seriously, they annoy me. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, they're just games. You know. So no, even when I when I hear high take, sometimes you just gotta laugh, man. Because I don't know if people honestly feel this way or not. But when they are talking about it, there is definitely passion. So y'all know, like, man, I like to, at least I like to think I don't have a lot of hot takes, right? I think a lot of the time, the more times you listen to me, right? I, I, I think I, I like to think that I can provide a certain logic behind any type of statement I make. But I gotta be honest with y'all, man. Like this one, 
this one, this, and I don't, and I honestly believe it. Full disclosure, this is not something that is manufactured or processed. I genuinely feel that this is the right move. But man, the reactions that I've been getting, like I've, I've, I've kind of thrown it out there to my like personal friends to see how they feel. And then I tweeted about it, and then it, it was it was an onslaught from like different <laughs> from different uh, locations. So that's why I was like, okay, maybe this actually is a hot take. Maybe this is how you know Stephen A. and Skip feel, like they or Nick Wright, they jump out there and say something, and to everyone else, it sounds complete trash. It sounds crazy, but I. But they may genuinely feel that this is the right move because I honestly feel that this is a slam dunk, but no one else does. <laughs> so hopefully I have set the table for you all. Hopefully you guys got your, your glass of milk. You know, you turn the AC on to kind of cool yourself down, right? Some Gatorade or whatever the case may be because they say not to drink cold water when you eat hot food. They say you drink milk. So maybe you got some cold Gatorade. Maybe you got some milk. Whatever the case may be because this, this take, I suppose, is scorching hot. You ready? All right, here we go. We all know that no team, no team in the NBA has more assets than the Boston Celtics. Like this team, it's it's crazy when you think about it. That just a year ago, myself included, but everybody was killing Danny Ainge. Everybody was, oh, Danny Ainge, he could get Paul George, but he didn't want to do it. Danny Ainge could get Jimmy Butler, but he didn't want to do it because he would have had to trade a lot of people to get them. And Paul George, obviously, He's coming into the last, this is his last year. So why trade a lot of valuable pieces for somebody who probably leaves in a year, you know? So then he signs Gordon Hayward. Then he trades the number one pick to Philadelphia for Jason Tatum and, and extra picks. And now a few years ago, the Memphis pick didn't look like it was going to be anything, but Memphis, and I don't, I'm not certain if they have Memphis's pick this year or next year, but either way, it's not like Memphis is going to bounce. I can't see Memphis bouncing back. Right. And then they have the Lakers pick, which probably ends up being Sacramento's pick next year as well. So they've got so much, so much. It's like an embarrassment of riches. Right. So we know Boston, despite the fact that they've, they've got young, promising talent, they just traded for Kyrie Irving. Yeah, not to mention they got Kyrie Irving for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, and the pick. So they've, they've been able to reshuffle the chairs, reshuffle the deck, and put themselves in prime contention, not just to be a contender this year, if Kyrie is healthy, but for the next decade plus, really, when you look at how Tatum has, uh, the talent that Tatum has shown and how Jalen Brown has developed, Terry Rozier, the, I mean, Marcus Smart, like the list goes on and on and on. However, Having a bunch of young, talented, and young, promising players based around Kyrie Irving isn't necessarily a guarantee to even reach the finals. It gives you a compelling argument, but when you see what Philadelphia is doing, you got to say, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Boston's young talent is nice. Boston's young talent is not anywhere close to being what Philadelphia's young talent is. And it got me thinking. This all starts going around the same time Kawhi Leonard is showing himself to be disgruntled in San Antonio. I can't see the future. I'm no Miss Cleo, okay? But damn it, I can't see Kawhi staying in San Antonio. I can't see San Antonio wanting Kawhi to stay there, right? Because next year, this is last year, and then he'll be up for a Supermax. 
I can't imagine Greg Popovich and R.C. Buford wanting to give Kawhi Leonard a Supermax after the year that they, at the time of this recording, the Spurs may not make the playoffs. This is how crazy the Western Conference is, and this is how crazy this whole Kawhi Leonard situation has become. The Spurs may not make the playoffs. In large part, because Kawhi is like, dog, I don't want to play. I don't trust. There's been a fracture of trust. We talked about this last week. Clearly, Kawhi is unhappy with the training staff in San Antonio, which makes no sense because San Antonio's training staff makes everyone seemingly add six years to their career. Tony Parker is still playing. Manu Ginobili is still playing somehow. Powell Gasol looked like he was washed in L.A. Then he goes to Chicago under Thibodeau. And that last year in Chicago, he looked like he was washed. This is year two, year three in San Antonio for Powell. I don't understand it. <laughs> but the training staff seemingly knows what they're doing. So which team, and look, San Antonio, if they do move on from Kawhi, they're not going to trade him to the West. Of course they're going to trade him to the East. You're not going to trade when he's healthy, one of the five best players within your conference. That's crazy. That's crazy. So somebody from the East is going to jump out there. And which team is best suited to do so than the team who has a, an unlimited amount of assets, the Boston Celtics. Let's run through the Boston's assets for right now, right? Obviously, they've got Kyrie. And I'm not saying all of these guys should be moved, but just pieces that other people would like, pieces that people will value, right? Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, Memphis's first round pick and the Lakers slash Sacramento Kings first round pick. That's nine. I just named you nine players, picks, whatever that other teams would value. Now, yeah, Boston could just say, "Yo, we're going to rock with this. Like that's a, what we just named. That's a great list of assets to have, not just to trade, but to have for a team. But I don't know. If the Celtics, as presently constructed, even with Gordon Hayward, who we haven't seen but for like four minutes this year with this team, I don't know if this team is good enough to come out of the East or to compete with the teams like Houston and Golden State. I honestly don't know. I feel like they've got nice players and promising players, but not like, okay, this guy, he's, he's creme de la creme. He's one of the top five, top ten. How many all-NBA players do you think are among those nine assets that I just named? So you could get you some. So why not go get Kawhi Leonard? And some of you guys are like, ah, oh, man, you know, why, what was it going to take to get Kawhi? Maybe you'd rather have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in a pick over Kawhi Leonard. To that, I say you're crazy, number one. You hope. Kawhi Leonard will be, what, 27 this summer? Before Kawhi Leonard turned 25, he was a finals MVP and a two-time defensive player of the year. Multiple-time first-team All-NBA. So you tell me, you think Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum get to that? Honestly, do you, you, hope, you would hope that those two guys would be one half of what Kawhi Leonard has become thus far. And again, it's not like Kawhi's 30. He's 27. 
this offseason. Okay? But he, this is where the take gets real spicy. I wouldn't stop there. I wouldn't stop there if I'm Boston. If I'm Boston, I call up San Antonio. And I look, man, I've got Al Horford. I've got Gordon Hayward. And I've got the Memphis pick. All three of those I'll give you for Kawhi and Filler, right? Because San Antonio has some bad contracts on their roster. Like Powell, Powell's contract is really bad. Danny Green's contract is really bad. But I say, look, Al Horford is younger than LaMarcus Aldridge or around the same age as LaMarcus Aldridge was when y'all signed him to that big contract. So if you could have Horford and LaMarcus, right? Which works. You have versatile bigs. One who's an amazing defensive player. The other is an amazing offensive player but can't defend. So they, they match. They complement each other. Didn't I give you Gordon Hayward? Young. Gordon Hayward's 28. Locked in. So you don't have to worry about him leaving. Young player. Can shoot. Can dribble. Can handle. Can pass. Didn't you get a top. At the worst will be a top eight pick. Probably a top five pick next year to go along with Deontay Murray that you already have. And you get to unload contracts. Right? With Patty Mills coming off the bench, I, I, I think that's perfect. Because San Antonio with LaMarcus, they're built to win now. So you have pieces that can help you win now, but then you still have pieces that can help you moving forward. For Kawhi, a guy who could just leave the next year. But I don't stop there because then when I get Kawhi, I'd call New Orleans and be like, yo, guess what we got for you? <laughs> we got Jalen Brown. We've got Jason Tatum. And we got the Lakers slash Sacramento Kings first round pick. And the only thing I want from y'all is Anthony Davis. And I saw some of you guys could be like, man, why would the Pelicans do that? The same reason why the Bulls traded Jimmy Butler. The same reason why Cleveland traded Ka Ka uh, Kyrie Irving. The same reason why the Pacers traded Paul George. If you got somebody on your team that you know you can't re-sign, why wait until you can't move them? Why wait until everybody knows you have to move them and you get like pennies on a dollar? I can't imagine Anthony Davis staying in New Orleans unless something miraculous happens. They went all in with uh, DeMarcus Cousins in New Orleans. DeMarcus Cousins tore his Achilles. How many players that you can think of have come back from an Achilles injury? Not, and don't even factor the size of DeMarcus Cousins in his physical condition, right? Because that's an added obstacle. But just period. How many players come back from a torn Achilles to be anything close to what they once were? <laughs> that list is not very long or promising, okay? So this year, the Pelicans, they could make the playoffs. They may miss it. That's how tough things are in the Western Conference. So even if they make the playoffs, y'all think they could be Golden State? Y'all think they could be Houston? Like, for real. Like, they could get in and then they get bumped in the first round. Like, Anthony Davis knows he's on the clock. He's an amazing player, but he hasn't won a single playoff game. And you know, as a competitor, he wants to win. Anthony Davis has done all that he can do. But that organization 
keeps on making move after move that you're just like, yo, what are y'all thinking? I remember after they made the playoffs the first year, they re-signed Omir Sheik for like a multi-year contract. They just give out money. Look at look at their 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 roster, their salary structure. So Anthony Davis has a player option after two years. You think he's going to stay? I mean, maybe, maybe he does. I can't see that. So why not act early? One of the reasons why Chicago got a great deal for Jimmy Butler is because they didn't wait. They didn't wait in Indiana. The moment they realized that Paul George wasn't going to stay, they traded him. And look at what they got. They got a better, they got back more than what they gave up. You know, the, the, the Clippers, the moment they realized, oh, we don't want Blake Griffin, they traded him. Look what, look what they got back. Tobias Harris is better than Blake Griffin in today's NBA. The idea that you can't trade a superstar for talent is absurd. It's outdated. And when you think about it, if you are New Orleans and y'all could get back a, a potential top top three pick, not to mention Tatum and Jalen Brown, you have to do that, right? I mean, you're not going to get an offer better than that. And if you're Boston, and I know, and this is the crazy thing, all I, I tweeted this out on my personal account, and so many Celtics fans was like, "Why in the world would the Celtics do that? That's stupid." Danny Ainge should kill himself if he did that. Listen to what you would still have if you're Boston. If both those trades go through, you still have Kyrie Irving, Marcus Smart, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Aaron Baines. That's your starting five with Marcus Morris, Terry Rozier coming off the bench. Plus, plus Boston still has all their own picks and whatever filler they had to take back from San Antonio. So whether it's Danny Green or Powell Gasol, you have those guys to fill out your roster. If you have a team that's built around Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, and Anthony Davis, you put yourself right there, right there with Golden State and Houston as the best teams in the league. Forget about maybe y'all can get to the finals. That team is legit. How many rings can we win with the best head coach? Best young head coach. I don't know why you wouldn't do that. But so many people, so many people are like, oh, that's a trash take, bro. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But damn it, put the hot sauce on it. You feel me? Put the spices on it because I'm all in. And I don't even like the Celtics, bro. But if I had an opportunity to get three of the best 20 players in the league, all three of whom are, what, 27 and younger? Why, why, why wouldn't you do that? I hear the people say, oh, man, well, those three are always injured. Number one, Anthony Davis's injury history is a bit overstated. Anthony Davis has played like 60-plus games in every single season. The only times he misses games is like for a, a jammed finger or a sprained ankle here. It's like he's never had any major surgery. That's number one. Number two, I mean, it's not like Al Horford and Gordon Hayward are the – the poster children of physical health. So you'd be moving players who have injury history for other players who have injury history, but the plays that you're getting back are better. Anthony Davis is a top five player. Kawhi Leonard is a top five, top six player. And you already got Kyrie. Like you would hope Jalen, Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown turns into Kawhi Leonard. You would hope that one of those two guys could turn into Anthony Davis. 
like not trading Tatum and Brown for Davis and or Kawhi is like if I have the Mega Millions or Powerball winning ticket and you've got a scratch off that you don't know if it won or not, but you hope it does. And I'm saying, yo, I'll give you the winning Powerball ticket, a sure thing. This is the winner. And all I want from you is a bunch of scratch offs that may <laughs> that may equal out to this ticket. And you're like, nah, man, these tickets could be just as valuable as that ticket is right now. That's absurd. It's absurd. Like you wouldn't do that. Why would you not go for the sure thing for a question mark? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. But maybe I'm feeling myself. If you think so, you can always tweet at me. We're at quarterly show. Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Let me know if I'm tripping. Let me know if you think that that trade is a trash take. If that hot take is too too wild to even admit and envision, imagine. You can also email us at the show at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. Man, I got to tell y'all, man, I think that I think those two trades instantly makes Boston and puts them ahead of Philadelphia and whatever LeBron, unless LeBron goes to Philadelphia. You know what I'm saying? But at that point, like right now, Boston and Philadelphia are in a cold war for the team who takes over whenever LeBron goes. If you have Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, and Kyrie Irving before they even turn 29 with Brad Stevens, and you keep Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, I don't know how that doesn't work. I don't know how that doesn't work. But one thing I've noticed is that fans, they love players who their team drafted. They overvalue them, right? Boston Celtics fans think Terry Rozier, they wouldn't trade Terry Rozier for in his prime Michael Jordan. You know, so forget about trading uh, Jalen Brown for Anthony Davis. I remember in D.C., Wizards fans were talking about they wouldn't trade Kelly Oubre. Look at what Kelly Oubre has done the last two months. Not a damn thing. <laughs> you feel me? All right, man. But, yo, let me know. Let me know. We're going a little bit long this week, so I'm not going to do stoppage time this week. We're going to do stoppage time next week. So let me know if you think that that is a trash hot take or maybe you, you like it. Or maybe you're a Spurs fan and say, no way we trade Kawhi. Or maybe you're a Pelicans fan and say, no way we trade Anthony Davis. Whatever the case may be, let me know. Let me know your reaction, whether you agree or not. All right, guys, you heard the horn, so that means halftime is here. And halftime this week is going to be kind of a, a continuation of last week's show. Last week, I ended the show with a question, basically stating, what 30 for 30 would you guys most want to see? And it was unsurprising, though the winner was Tiger Woods, thanks to everyone who voted. You guys would most want to see a Tiger Woods kind of a return, a fall and rise of Tiger Woods type of 30 for 30, despite the fact that I'm still not certain how much access you'd get. But the people have spoken, and, you know, we here at the Quarterly Report, we, we like to think of ourselves as pretty creative. This is what we envision that 30 for 30 trailer sounding like. Take a listen. What if I told you that calling yourself Cablin Asian would ultimately be an afterthought in terms of your career? That your way of showing the world that you're an everyman is by driving Buicks and sleeping with IHOP waitresses. Or, 
when you tell your friends that your wife, quote, brought you to the club, has a whole different connotation. ESPN and 30 for 30 proudly presents a new documentary, Side of the Tiger. We like to have fun here in the quarterly report, obviously, but we also like to, you know, be mindful of other big time sporting events, even if they're not necessarily my favorite things. Right. So, like, you know, last week we had the Albert Bell story. That was kind of a wink, wink, nod, nod, a, a tip of the cap, if you will, to the start of baseball season. I'm not a big baseball guy, but that was a baseball story. It was a way of me to kind of acknowledge, yo, this is a big this is a big event, even if it's not my cup of tea. Obviously, at the time you guys are listening to this podcast, it's the it's day one of the Masters. And yes, you guys overwhelmingly decided that a Tiger 30 for 30 would be the best of recent stories. Um, but again, we do have time to kind of acknowledge that the Masters are starting today. So, you know, just because I don't necessarily talk about these sports doesn't mean that I'm, I'm completely oblivious to the significance that they have to different people. So if you are a golf fan, I know you're excited. Um, but yeah, Tiger, bro. I mean, I don't even know where you would start. With, I mean, I guess you would start with him winning, but you start hearing stories about his pops. God bless the dead. But he was a wild dude. You know, it's a whole lot. In in that 30 for 30 trailer that we did, we didn't even talk about the, the, the drugs. You know what I'm saying? We got pulled over like, what, two years ago with the drugs. The whole story is crazy. I don't like Tiger, but, um, you know, it would be something if he were to, to win the Masters this week. All right, guys, so we're going to keep things moving. The halftime is over. We're eyeing the second half. We're going to finish up strong with our third topic this week. Third quarter. It's the third quarter, and I have a special guest. He's my guy, but everyone knows him as the host on NBA TV and Turner Sports, as well as a contributor to NBC Sports Washington and NBC Washington in the D.C. area. My homeboy, Chris Miles. Chris, what's going on, bro? What's going on, man? Get ready for these playoffs. It's crazy. I don't know if we've ever had, like, an end to a regular season this exciting. Yo, man, I got to give you guys at NBA TV a shout-out for real. Uh, this past Sunday, man, it was it was amazing. It was an amazing slate of games, and you guys had like a triple header. And you know, some of the games that you guys didn't even broadcast, like there was the uh, Utah Pelican or Utah Minnesota game, Pelicans Oklahoma City Thunder, and like all week because of the Western playoff race is crazy. Uh, seeding for the East is amazing. Like these games down the stretch, it really has the feel of like the first day of the playoffs because they're just important games all day long. Yeah, it's crazy because you have uh, New Orleans and Oklahoma City and they're fighting for playoff position and they had an identical record and you had Utah, Minnesota. Also, essentially, it's like the first round of playoffs, like you said, because they're all trying to get their seating together. And it's, I mean, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, the Spurs were out of the playoffs and now right. they're in the fourth seed. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, that's crazy. And, and we'll get to the Spurs in a second. But you're right, man. This year, I'm trying not to OD, but I honestly feel that this, at least since I've been an adult, this has been like the most excited for the playoffs I've been in God knows how long. You know, um, when you look at the top of each conference, you know, we're coming out of, you know, three straight years of uh, Golden State, Cleveland. And that's not to say that we may not get four years in a row of it, but 
both the Warriors and the Cavaliers seem like they are at their most vulnerable since they've started dominating the league. You know what I mean? So there's an excitement because you honestly don't know. Forget about one conference. I think there's a real drama and real intrigue about who comes out of both conferences. And we're going to start in the West. There's no way to 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 say it other than the Houston Rockets have dominated this season thus far. You know, I remember this offseason, there was a, a bit of skepticism about how well Chris Paul and James Harden will work together. I know you as well as myself are huge Chris Paul fans, so we both thought it would work. But we know the playoffs, they're a different animal. And the three men who are kind of leading the charge for the Rockets this year, if you will, Chris Paul, James Harden, and Mike D'Antoni, they all come with their fair share of playoff uh, shortcomings, if you will. Can't talk about Chris Ball without noting that he's never, forget making the finals, he's never made a conference finals, right? James Harden, he's the likely MVP, but we remember his playoff shortcomings. Remember how he played in the finals back in Oklahoma City those years way back when. And remember, just last year, he kind of collapsed, like just a, I don't even know how you would describe it. He just kind of had an awful playoff performance in the biggest game of the year. And then Mike D'Antoni, He's had success in Phoenix and Houston, obviously, but he's never had that big playoff run. He's never been to the finals as a head coach. So with that being said, who needs a, a an impressive playoff run most to, I guess, solidify their legacy and to silence their critics? Chris Paul, James Harden, or Mike D'Antoni? I'm going to go Chris Paul because mm. Mike D'Antoni is a coach and he can continue to – his career could be another 10 to 15 years and we're talking about him – as being a great coach and having a great team at any point, okay? With James Harden, he's playing with house money. I know he's had some, some bad playoff runs, but he is essentially about to wrap up his first MVP, you know, still in, in his 20s. He's a guy who's solidifying his legacy. Chris Paul doesn't have an MVP. And when he first – it was 10 years ago that we're like, oh, Chris Paul's battling Kobe in the playoffs. Like, this guy is the next guy. Since then, it's been playoff disappointment after playoff disappointment. He's in his 30s. He's only six feet tall. He's a guy that really needs to make a deep playoff run to solidify his legacy long term because, you know, Steph Curry has kind of passed him up as far as who's the best of this generation. I don't know if you want to consider them the same position, but certainly when when the Pantheon is all said and done, Chris Paul would benefit the most from just getting a single title. You know what is crazy? I think I have to agree with you. But as well, considering that, you know, as it stands right now, and obviously James Harden is much younger, you know, Chris Paul is the better player, but he's under the most pressure um, of, of, of having a, a, a long, successful playoff run. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guy, Chris Miles. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Chris Miles TV, and you can catch him each week on NBA TV and Turner Sports. And if you're in the D.C. area, Make sure you watch him on NBC Washington and NBC Sports Washington. He's a part of their Wizards coverage as well. So he's a big hoop head, big NBA junkie man, and a great follow on Twitter. So we're going to keep things moving. You talked about the Spurs a little bit earlier, and this Kawhi Leonard saga just keeps on. It has legs. We've been talking about this now since it feels like the beginning of the year. I don't remember any story that has shocked me and has been more strange than this Spurs Kawhi Leonard story. Kawhi is a top five player. 
I think he turns 27 this summer, so he's still so young. The Spurs are, I don't even know if it's if it's really a debate. They're the most successful, well-run organization in North American sports. And because of that, we give them the benefit of the doubt always, right? They, they have this cloak of invincibility, if you will. But this Kawhi Leonard story doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on it? And ultimately, how do you see this saga uh, playing out? Well, the inner fanboy in me says, how about the Knicks make a trade joking hey. for Kawhi? You know, like that, that's me jumping off a cliff. But the, I have this weird connection of the last time I remember a head coach kind of saying, oh, it's up to the player when he comes back or his boys. That's what Brett Brown said about Marshall Fultz. <laughs> like he returned a week later. So I don't know if Pop is trying to pull one of those, but just the body language and, like you said, some of the quotes between Tony Parker and Kawhi yeah. Leonard. Like, Tony Parker's like, I had the same injury. I'm playing. It, it, yeah. It's just so off, and it's so not Greg Popovich and Kawhi Leonard that maybe it's, it's too broke, or maybe – the guy comes back, and now they're the fourth seed in the playoffs. They just got Rudy Gay back, and he looked good, and they beat the Rockets, and LaMarcus Aldridge playing great, and then Kawhi comes back, and they make a playoff run. That's the kind of thing, that, the thing that the Spurs do, and it would be the craziest story in the NBA, and I'm actually hoping that happens. It's just crazy when you think of it, right? Because I said it earlier, we give the Spurs so much benefit of the doubt, and for, for good reason. They've earned it, right? It's been two decades of sustained excellence. But when you look at it historically, right, especially recent history, when a superstar player is unhappy, the the sooner you act, the sooner you move them, the more you get in return. I'm not saying that the Spurs do trade them, but I don't see how, like the 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 likelihood of them keeping Kawhi and resigning him to me diminishes each time one of these reports come out. This offseason, do you foresee the Spurs trading Kawhi? That just sounds crazy, but most teams, for that risk, yeah, you give up. You give up whatever. Okay, what do you want, San Antonio? I want a first-rounder in in this other player that we have that's really good. You know, we'll take it to the Wizards. Oh, you're willing to take Otto Porter? Uh, Ubre and a first round pick. Oh, you want Beal right. and a first round? Like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Every time, uh, yes, yes, the answer is yes. So it's just one of those things where the Spurs seem like they're in a terrible position, but again, they're in the playoffs, they're the yeah. fourth seed right now in the West. As we said, it's such a stacked conference. So even with Kawhi out, somehow. They're still playing with house money. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my man, Chris Miles. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Chris Miles TV. He's part of NBA TV and Turner Sports. You can see him each week on NBA TV. And if you're in the D.C. area, check him out on NBC Washington and NBC Sports Washington, part of their Wizards coverage as well. Super big NBA fan. Uh, We talked about the Western Conference, and we're going to move to the East. Uh... Again, same thing. The East is wide open. Obviously, LeBron, you you have the most faith in him, and the Cavs seem to be clicking at the right time. But if if there was still stock left in the Philadelphia 76ers, I'm buying all of it. I, I just 
Some, again, I OD from time to time, so maybe I'm ODing now, but I don't think so. Philadelphia, I'm, I'm a believer. And it may not happen this year, but I think in the very, very near future, they're going to be running the conference. They've got, in my opinion, two of the best five players in the conference already, and they're both super young. Joel Embiid just resigned, and oh, by the way, they just have the number one overall pick in the draft, Markel Fultz, who since he's returned has been playing very well. Um, I guess on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you for the potential that this 76er team has? Oh, if they were the Knicks, I'd be at 100,000 trillion. <laughs> you ask me how excited I am, or actually I get depressed. Yeah. I'm like, this could have been us. Right. could have been us. This can't be life. This got to be more. You know, but for the 76ers, I mean, if I was a 76ers fan, You'd have to go back to what, like 1984, right? To, to think of a team that like, Dr. J, Moses Malone, Mo Cheeks, you really world be free. You have to go back that far because that those AI teams ain't have all this, right? You know, right. and Drew Holiday and Andre Iguodala. I don't really need to talk about that. Not <laughs> so I just think, um, indeed, to me. The argument of Embiid or Giannis, who would you rather have? That's an ongoing discussion that I think we're going to have for the next eight to ten years, and that's just what it is. Like they, they, they're Embiid has proven to me at least he's on that level because the the stat that sticks out to me is that he leads the league in uh, post up points and paint points, and when I watch him play, he doesn't even get down there often enough. Right, so right. Every time he gets down there, he's scoring nine points a game in there, and half the time he's only making it to the top of the key and either shooting jumper or making a pass because right. he's you know he's kind of logging behind the play. And Ben Simmons, where I think you're a little higher on Ben Simmons than I am in the sense of like you feel as though he's already a top five player in the East, and I think he destroys the garbage teams when they play against good teams that play good defense, they know how to limit him offensively. So before I can put him there, um, I got to wait on that. Right. Ben Simmons, he's he's faster than I realized, jumps higher than I realized, and his passing ability could be it, it could be the best in the league. Right. It could be. Like when people talk about Lonzo Ball, I get kind of frustrated. Like, look, he throws long passes. He doesn't attack defense. Ben Simmons put so much pressure on the defense, and yeah. it makes he, he anticipates the play before it happens. He makes the offense fluid. He makes everyone better. And then they bring Markel Fultz off the bench, who's probably going to be okay this year. But by next year and the year after, now you're bringing a guy who can drop 20 a game off the bench or as your two guard. Like right. Yeah, Young, it's crazy. It's it's really exciting. Uh, not as a Knicks fan, it's actually rather depressing but when you look at what boston and philly are doing and how they're projected and the trajectory that both teams uh, are currently on it's an exciting time to be a fan of the nba especially in the east you know it's almost like you know uh you can it's not going to happen this year i don't think but like a passing of the baton between lebron and those two teams who are currently engaged in the cold war all right guys once again i'm joined by my man for real you know it's a, it's a really dope experience when you see somebody when you know somebody and you see them achieve their dream. And that's kind of what the case is now with my guy, Chris Miles. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Chris Miles TV. 
Again, he's living a dream right now, man. He's on NBA TV. He's going to be a part of their playoff coverage as well. Super dope follow, super fun. You can also catch him in the D.C. area on NBC Washington and NBC Sports Washington as well. So, obviously, the guy loves and knows his basketball. But whenever, Chris, you and I get together, it's not just basketball talk we engage in. It's also, you know, rap. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you and I are about the same age. We grew up. We're all a part of this. We all love this type of music. And I'm looking on your, uh, your, I'm following you on Twitter, and I see you pose the question. And I believe it was since 2010, which rapper has kind of dominated, uh, dominated the, the genre, the culture the most? And the options were Kanye, uh, Cole, Kendrick, and Drake. And, you know, anytime these questions like pop up, anytime these poll questions pop up, um, it's easy to rush to your favorite. And my favorite is uh, Cole of those four. However, you know, it's tough not to just go to your favorite, but actually answer the question honestly. And that's where it gets tricky because despite the fact that I actually am a fan of J. Cole more so than the other three, I can't honestly answer him as the answer, you know, use him as the answer. I think it's a two-man race between Drake and Kendrick. So... I guess I'm quite, my question to you is, number one, what made you ask this question? And number two, who would you uh, decide has dominated uh, the genre since 2010? So, I'm a Drake hater. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I try to listen to his music. Like, every time one of his songs come out, I'll play it, and I'll listen to it five or six times. Like, And I just don't understand why people like it. I really yeah. do and I, I go, okay, you know what? I tried. Like, the God's Plan song came out. I was like, all right, this video's dope. And then he said that stupid, oh, yeah, like, my dad and my mommy. I'm like, who's he, in eighth grade? <laughs> he used a beat break for that, and I could see Nas vomiting over to the side. Like, that's how you use a beat break, you know? Right. And so I'm out, and, and people, oh, and I, I look on Twitter, and it's like, Drake, oh, the GOAT, Drake. And I'm like, okay. I'm going to put this poll out here, to, right. and, and I want people to explain to me why. Because when I listen to it, it's Kendrick, and there's nothing close nowadays. Like, it's Kendrick, right. and then J. Cole, like you said, you love him. I can listen to J. Cole and feel a vibe and be good with it and then kind right. of move on with my life. Whereas when I listen to Kendrick, I'm like, oh, i got to hear that song. It's yeah. Like, Black of the Berry, All Right. Like, he just had songs, DNA, Element, God. I mean, like, he, I could just go down the list, and I'm like, Kendrick is top ten all time for me. Yeah. Kendrick like, is I, And I would have never thought that I would say that about a rapper. They would be top ten for me. Nah. After 2005, you know? Nah, I feel you. I mean, you know, I'm a curmudgeon myself. Uh, I think you probably are more open uh, to newer music than I, just because you listen to more than I do. But yeah, I'm stuck in my ways. Um, but I'm with you. You know what I mean? Like Kendrick's music, it it sits with you. You know what I mean? And and the 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 rhyming and there's so much that it's so layered. And you know he's such a dope lyricist, he's such a dope storyteller and songwriter. But I do feel, and this this is not to nitpick, but you know it's a lot of like what Nas was. Nas. One of my fa- my second favorite rapper of all time, but there is a legit criticism like Lies didn't know how to make a song that you could just have fun with. You know what I'm saying? Like, again, 
I know it's a small thing, but there's sometimes where you just want to have fun. You want to just have a song that thumps. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like Kendrick is the, is going along the same path. Obviously, what he did with All Right was super dope. You know what I'm saying? He made a strong song that was really hard and that you could crank up to. You know what I'm saying? But I feel like he doesn't have that consistency of, you know, balancing the, the hard and the layered and the complex rhyming to just some of the fun stuff. And I'm not saying you got to have filler, but it's one of the things that people got to love the most about Jay. Jay was able to show you how much of a, a lyricist he was and a great storyteller he was, but he also knew how to make a really just fun song that you wanted to play all summer or spring or whatever the case, the songs that stay the test of time, really. You know what I'm saying? Same with Big. Big did the same thing as well. I, as a Cole fan, Cole doesn't have that either. Um, and I don't know if Kendrick has it. If he does have it, he doesn't have it the way Drake does. And, you know, there's a lot of things not to like about Drake, but you got to give him credit for that. He has his finger on the pulse, and he makes songs that people just love to have fun to. Kendrick, as dope as a rapper he is, I don't know if he's there yet. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think part of it is that he does it on guest appearances. Right. Like that Big Shot song. Or, so they're not his songs. His songs, right, right, right. Whereas, um, and I feel like you're right about J. Cole, and that's where I think the Drake animosity for me comes from because I'm a huge Jay-Z guy. Right, right. right. And people are like, oh, he's the Jay-Z of this generation. I'm like, no. But, <laughs> you know, to, to Kendrick's point, like, yeah, it's hard because it's, and I'm not going to clubs like I used to. Right, right, right. Like, when I go out, Drake's music's always on. And I see everybody repeating the lyrics. And I'm like, I I'm missing out on that. Once again, guys, that's my man, Chris Miles. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Chris Miles TV. He's on NBA TV and Turner Sports. So you're going to be seeing a lot of him once the playoffs start. And they were like, what, nine days away. So it's crazy how fast we're approaching the postseason. Chris. Thank you so much, man, for rocking with me on the episode, and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks for having me, man. All right, guys, once again, thanks to my man, Chris Miles. But we are three quarters down with one quarter left. It's our fourth and maybe most important topic this week. Fourth quarter. For the fourth quarter, we're going to finish up with a story that is so interesting, so layered, and potentially can be so impactful. However, I think... While many people's intentions are good, I don't know if they understand fully just how problematic the actual action is. And I'm talking about um, this player named Darius Basley, Baisley maybe. Uh, if you're not familiar, he's a, he's a high school All-American and he committed to Syracuse to, to go to, to the Orange and play next season. However, um, I want to say about a week and a half ago, he decommitted from Syracuse and then decided to become a member of the G League, the NBA's minor league team. Once, well, not minor league team, um, minor league, if you will. It used to be the D League, developmental league. It's still that, but they changed it. Uh, Gatorade bought the, the naming rights, so they call it the G League. And it's very interesting, you know, because initially, and I saw the reaction. And I'm sure many of you all who follow, especially if you follow college basketball, um, you saw the reaction and it was almost unanimously like positive, like overwhelmingly positive. And I think 
people are getting people are so fed up with this idea of amateurism with the NCAA specifically and and these kids who are getting unpaid labor that they are they're welcoming any type of change, any type of um, action to kind of beat that kind of status quo. And look, make no mistake. If you listen to the show, you know how I feel about this. I absolutely feel that players in college should be paid. Now, I understand there's a whole lot of roadblocks and obstacles that are in the way. And, you know, when you it's funny and this happens in any part of life, right? When you really want to figure something out, if you honestly have the intention of solving a problem, a few roadblocks, a roadblocks, a few setbacks, a few hurdles is not going to stop you. In fact, it's going to make you it's going to force you to become a bit creative to start thinking outside of the box to uh, circumvent some of these issues. So, you know, the NCAA, they say they always go with like anytime you talk about paying players, they always go to, oh, well, Title Nine and we're not going to be like sports that don't generate revenue. How can we pay for those players? And I'm not saying that that's not a legitimate argument, right? But that's coming from someone who, A, is getting paid a lot of money and B, doesn't want the change, doesn't want the, they're looking for reasons to keep the status quo. And look, if if you are eating, if you're a member of the NCAA, Mark Emmerich, or any other of the people who work under him or work with the organization, why would you want to change? You're making so much money. If you're a coach in college basketball or college football, why would you want to change? You're making so much money. They don't care about the kids, right? But if you really want to make a change, you could just make it like you could start off by saying, you know, if you're a college athlete, you can make money, right? I'm not going to, we may not pay you via scholarship, but we're not going to prevent you from making money. Meaning all these college basketball, and college football games, right? Put the players' names on them and give them a piece of the cut. If you sell a player's jersey and you have their name on it, allow them to get a percentage. Like, don't stop players from making money. It was a story. It was a kid a few years ago. I believe he was like a, a kicker, and he was uh, had a YouTube channel. He's making all these, like, wild kicks and everything. And then the college was like, yo, we're going to pull your scholarship if you, if you keep on making these videos. But he was making money off the videos. He was monetizing his YouTube channel. So he was like, nah, I'm going to keep making money. And shout out to him. I wish I knew his name. I wish I knew the school. But preventing him from monetizing his YouTube channel has nothing to do with Title IX. You know what I'm saying? So if, like, and there are people far smarter than me, far more informed in regards to Title IX and how to pay players who have come up and tweeted and wrote blogs and articles about actually paying players despite uh, revenue sports and the, the criticism of Title IX. So I'm not saying that there isn't a way to pay players despite the Title IX excuse, but I'm saying if you if you were saying Title IX prevents you from you know paying players and you know paying players who don't play in uh, revenue sports, then there you you can also just let players make money, and the NCAA uh, clearly is not in for that. But back to Darius and Syracuse situation. Because so many people were just cheering this idea. And I'm, you know, me, I'm not necessarily the biggest college basketball guy. I am a big-time NBA and pro basketball guy. So I start thinking, I'm like, hold on. This, yeah, he's not going to the NCAA. And if you're if you're cheering that because you're against 
uh, these kids, these players being exploited, cheering him going to the G League isn't anything, anything significantly better. In fact, he's probably, if you're a top prospect, you could get more money going to college. And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being honest. Like, we could be adult and be honest about the situation. They said the, the top end players in the G League make about $30,000, $25,000 to $30,000. If you're this kid as a top recruit and you're not going to go to college, but you're going to go to the G League and you're not going to get top state-of-the-art facilities because these teams, they're not like they're like the, a lot of most NBA teams don't have their own kind of G League, right? It's kind of like this wild west of just a, a bunch of guys who, who, who are looking to latch on to an NBA team. And this is one way to do it. But they don't have these great facilities. They're not traveling in these, you know, first class and in these private jets. And, and they don't have the great coaching and training. Like, it's not it's not like a, the way you view a minor league system for baseball, if you will. You know, these guys are really, they just, they're going for it. And if you're a college kid, you're, you're, you're sacrificing facilities, money, um, recognition, coaching, training staff, like Syracuse's equipment, Syracuse's coaching, Syracuse's facility is going to be far superior than anything at the G League level. And we also have to remember, and I think people over they, they overlook this sometimes, the G League, I don't believe they have a union, but I know for certain the NBA Players Union does not represent the G League. That's one of the reasons why the contracts are so low. Think about it. The developmental league changed its name two years ago, I want to say, to the G League because Gatorade bought the naming rights. But these players' contracts didn't go up. So the, there is money there. Okay? And if you are starting to, I guess, starting to attract top prospects, one would think, okay, we need to invest more into this league. And thus far, and I know the NBA and Adam Silver are very progressive and forward-thinking, so maybe they will soon but thus far, they haven't. So if you're a top prospect and you're making $30,000 in, in a G League without great equipment, without great coaching, without great training staff, right, and without money, and you have no union to represent you despite like what will happen, and this is where I want to really focus on. In the G League, if you're a player in the G League and you make, you make a team, people can call you up. It's, again, it's not like baseball or hockey system where if you're on someone's G league team, you own their rights and all this other stuff. It's not, it's like I said, it's the wild, wild West. You make a roster, you know, some teams have their own specific, like the, like the Knicks and a few other teams definitely have their own, but it's not like they have a contract with the team. So if, if you're a top prospect, and again, there is no union. If you go to the G league right out of high school, you then shouldn't have to go into the draft because all these other guys in the G League who are not making any money, they have the uh, they have the ability, they have the option to go to whichever team wants them and go at the highest bidder, go to the highest bidder. Look how crazy it is that if you're a college kid and you decommit to college, you go straight to the G League, right? You're not getting paid money. Again, you're not getting great coaching. You're not getting the uh, state-of-the-art facilities. But then you got to enter the draft the next year. So you're, you got, it's like a negative, negative, a lose, lose. All the other guys in the G League, 
if they play well enough, they could be called up by any team and get whatever contract that they could get. Whereas if you're a college kid and you go to the G League, you got to suffer through the, the, the bad pay for a year, and then you have no choice as to where you go. You got to get drafted, and then you go through the whole process all over again. Like, no, that's, how, that's, that's ridiculous. And we got so many people who are just so fed up with college basketball that they didn't take the time to think, hold on. This this kid going to the G League, this actually is worse. Like, if if the NBA truly wants to make waves, right, and truly wants to kind of look and try to make a change as it pertains to college basketball or high school players and making a, a lane to get into the league through their developmental league, they got to change all this. Because, again, if you're going to sacrifice the college experience, and play for the D League for a year. You shouldn't then have to be have to be treated like every other kid and go to the draft, right? If you're going to be a D League player and make D League money for a full year, you should be treated the way all the other D League players are. Meaning, when you can, if somebody wants to offer you a contract, you can choose which team to go to, and you can choose how much money you want to make, right? Within the within the realm of the contract situation and the CBA, obviously. But again, if, if I'm playing in the, in the G League and I'm not coming straight out of high school and then, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies want to call me up and they want to pay me a million dollars because they've, they've been impressed with me, then I can choose to go to Memphis despite if I was playing in, you know, Oklahoma City or whatever the case may be, or Tulsa, for instance, right? Whereas this kid, Baisley, will be in the G League and then he has to go through the draft and has no choice of which team he gets to play for. You want to talk about being exploited? That's exactly what that is. So, you know, everybody was so fascinated and everybody was cheering and so happy about another another brick from the NCAA powerhouse wall being, like, chipped away. But we, we're so fascinated and we're so uh, excited about tearing down the NCAA that we, again, we're doing exactly what the NCAA does, not caring about the kids. Like, if you, again, y'all, I've said it time and time again. I'm all for capitalism, man. If you can make money in this country without hurting anybody, hurting yourself. If you can make money and someone wants to offer you money for a service that you provide, I'm all for giving it up. Like, go make your money. That's, that's what this country is built on, the American dream. Think about it like this. I have a seven-year-old daughter, and my daughter... You know, my daughter watches crazy stuff on YouTube. Like, she'll, she likes, obviously, like a lot of kids. You know, Fortnite is super big right now. My daughter doesn't watch Fortnite, doesn't play Fortnite, but she watches Minecraft, which is also super huge, right? I literally have to put a clock, like, she can't play Minecraft but for so many minutes in a day because left to her own devices, she'll watch it all day. So she can't play the game, but she will, if she doesn't play the game, she would honestly go to YouTube and watch other children play Minecraft. It's the oddest thing in the world. So somebody is making money off that. They have monetized that. Let's say, for instance, my daughter created her own YouTube page and met and decided to make money playing with her toys or playing Minecraft. She's seven. Nobody's going to be like, hey, man, you can't do that, right? She's in school. But you mean to tell me 10 years from now, if she were to get an athletic scholarship, she wouldn't be able to do it. That's crazy. Like, why? Like, 
How does that hurt anything? How does that hurt anyone? How does that prevent her from being an amazing athlete or an amazing student? Right? It's a hustle, man. It's a hustle. And so I get it. Everybody's happy that the NCAA may have another obstacle or have something else that is challenging them. But players, top prospects going to the G League is also a hustle. The idea that these kids shouldn't be able to go to the NBA, if, if they're good enough, if a team wants to draft them, the idea that they can't is absurd. It truly is. And if the NBA truly wants to be as progressive and as forward-thinking as they like people to think they are, they need to dip that in the butt real quick because that's that's crazy. And the idea that this young man is going to be the first to do so means, means that it is on the radar. So hopefully the NBA, hopefully the NBA Players Union also has the foresight to be like, yo, we need to look after these kids too. You understand? We need to look after not just the kids, all the players in the G League. <laughs> they, got, they got a league named at the Gatorade. Nobody's eating. Come on, man. All right, guys. That's the show this week. Thank you so much for rocking with me. I want to thank again my guy Chris Miles for joining me. Remember, you can catch him on Twitter. He's at Chris Miles TV. Make sure you watch him on NBA TV. Uh, playoffs are going to be starting, so you're going to be watching him a lot. And if you're in the D.C. area, check him out on NBC Washington and NBC Sports Washington as well. We'll be back next week again next Thursday. Thank you guys so much for rocking with me for episode 51 of the Quarterly Report. <laughs>